Okay, just gonna make this. Okay. Um, so today we're gonna learn not on the parsha. It's parsha's ve'era. We usually learn on the parsha, but today we're not gonna learn on the parsha. Um, I was thinking of learning a discourse on the parsha, and I, I was out of town, and I was on a plane today, and I took along with me a a book to prepare, a safer to prepare. But even flying thirty thousand feet high, I didn't understand uh, what we were learning. So I had to give up on that. It was very Kabbalistic. And, and then I, land over, I landed over here just an hour, an hour and a half ago, and I was thinking, oy vey, there's no share for tonight. Then I remembered that it's going to be Yud Shvat, the 10th of Shvat coming up. It's a custom by Chassidim to study the famous discourse, Basi Lagani, I've Come to My Garden, which... Um, is something the Lubavitcher Rebbe said on the day that he became, he assumed the the mantle of leadership um, based on his predecessor's discourse that was said, the last, his last discourse that he had given out for the day of his passing, unbeknown when the Hasidim received it, that the Rebbe had appeared that discourse for the day of his passing, which was actually his, grand, his great-grandmother's yardside or his grandmother's yard site. And um, people they had, because in the later years, the previous Rebbe, who passed away in 1950, um, was, uh, was due to his health, did not say any discourses. Instead, he would take of his old discourses and he would give it out to print. And for any special occasion, a special holiday, Yom Tif, he would have another, another discourse published ones that were said 20, 30 years earlier for Hasidim to study. Um, being that it was his grandmother's yard site coming up in 1950 in the month of Shvat, he prepared a discourse for that Shabbos called Basi Lagani. Um, then that Shabbos morning on Parshas Boy in 1950, the Rebbe passed away. Uh, and Hasidim took that, that that was kind of, the discourse that he left wasn't, wasn't a coincidence, but rather it was prepared as a as a uh, kind of will, almost like see it like a will of the previous Rebbe to know what what lies ahead, what kind of leadership, what was going to be in the next in the upcoming years. Lo and behold, a year later, exactly on the yard site in Yud Shvat, in the year in 1951, our Rebbe became Rebbe, and with and the custom amongst Chabad Rabbeim is that you they initiate one's leadership and entry into being the Rebbe, the new Rebbe, is by saying a Hasidic discourse. So the Rebbe began his discourse as a commentary on the previous Rebbe's discourse, Basi Lagani. And what he would do is interesting, is from year to year, he would expound on another parak on another chapter of that discourse. The previous Rebbe's discourse that he had published, again, for the day of his passing, had 20 chapters. So the Rebbe would, every month, sorry, every year, on the yard site, on Yud Shvat, commemorating and the, the previous Rebbe's 
day of passing, the Rebbe would have a fabrengen, a gathering with the Hasidim, and speak a lot of Torah. The highlight of that fabrengen, of that gathering, was that he would say a discourse. And every single time, for the next 40 years, the discourse always began with Basi Ligani. I have come to my garden. It's only that what he did was that he would every year expound on the, on the next chapter. And being that the previous Rebbe's Mimer had 20 chapters, so the Rebbe's 20 years from 1951 till 1970, he, he spent every Yochvat in the discourse expounding on and explaining and elaborating another one of his predecessor's chapters of that discourse. When he completed in 1970, so in 1971, he began round two. And began round two means that he would go back to that, to the chapter that he explained 20 years ago and give a whole new, deeper insight and other ideas in that very same chapter that he discussed 20 years earlier. So he continued, I'm not exactly sure till which year, till about 1986 or 87, um, when the last few years, the Rebbe would not say any discourses during the weekday. Um, there was no, in general, there was no more Hasidic discourses. There were just talks, but there weren't the same kind of mimer. So it kind of stopped, I think, in 1986 or 85, 86. Um, this year, but Hasidim still continued studying the discourses every year. So this year, when we come to the year 19, we're in the year 2016. Uh, in the Hebrew calendar, it's the year 5776. It would correspond to the sixth chapter because we continue from 19... The second round would have ended in 1950. I'm sorry, in 1990. So in 1991, we started reading again from the beginning and that would go till, nine, till 2010. So 2011, we began the fourth round. So now we're back, so we're holding by chapter 6. 2011, yeah. Chapter 16 is chapter 6. So I had a choice to, ch now again, I have, to, I have to make a confession. I didn't learn this ever. Never. I'm learning this for the first time right now over here. So I'm not really teaching, I'm just learning together with you. Um, so we'll learn, and hopefully we'll... Gains, hopefully we'll gain some insight. Um, I chose to study what we have now. Every, every time we come to Yuchvat, we have the option of learning. First of all, we have, we have three options. We have the previous Rebbe's discourse to study, which we should do one time. It's interesting, I've never done it. We've never learned the 20 chapters of the previous Rebbe directly over here and um, recorded it. I've never done that, and it would be something nice to do. Um, however, the other options are to learn one of the two commentaries, because again, you have two sets of commentaries from the first 20 years and the second 20 years. The Rebbe is my own. I chose the second one today. Um, I don't know why. Um, and maybe next week we'll learn the first one, or we'll see what's going to happen. But meanwhile, let's start. Okay, so the Mimer begins like this. Basi legani achaisi kala. I have come to my garden, my sister, my bride. This is what God says on the day that Hashem moves into his 
into his into this world. This is a phrase from the Song of Songs from Shir Hashirim, where King Solomon is exclaiming the joy that God had when he finally moved into his bridal. He came down here to move into his with his new bride into this world, into his home. Uh, he and his wife just got married, and now they've arranged a home. And the home is what? The home is, in general, this world is the home where God wants to reside. More particular, it's the Beis Amigdash, or in the original form, it was the Mishkan. And it says that King Solomon describes God's great joy, how he, how he cries out with sheer pleasure and delight, I've returned to my garden which indicates that this world is a very, very pleasurable, a very pleasurable place for God. He very, very much desires. This is his dream home. And for whatever reason, he was chased away from this home. He initially wanted to live at this world. This was his desire. This is God's passion. For whatever reason, because of uh, things that got in the way, beginning with the snake and the Garden of Eden and all kinds of other stuff that got in the way, and it caused God to have, to have to move away from this world. And as the sins progressed from generation to generation, it caused such a terrible stench that Hashem could not tolerate living in this world. And Hashem was kind of retracted higher and higher into the heavens until He removed Himself to the furthest of heavens. And then began the work of the Jewish people to make, to clean out the mess to remove all the toxic waste and all the junk and all the whatever else has happened over here and all the negativity and to begin purifying the world. And it really began with Avram Avinu who began the work of drawing, inviting back God into the garden that he desires so much in the physical world. So Avram begins the process of bringing Hashem down from the seventh heaven and so tzaddikim continue and there are seven tzaddikim from Avram Avinu until Moshe Rabbeinu. And finally, when Moshe Rabbeinu and his generation, after the work of the seven tzaddikim, seven generations, the world was ready to receive God in a manner where God can live in this world in a comfortable way. Living in a place means a place where you can fully express yourself as you are. And that's what happened with Moshe Rabbeinu. By the giving of the Torah, and then particularly when we actually took a physical materials of this world, and built it and structured it in a way that suits God's desires or God's needs, so to speak. It's like when we move into a house, we know what we need. We need a certain type of kitchen. We need a bedroom. We need a comfortable, you know, um, dining room or and and and, and uh, whatever. All the other things we need. And God has His sets of desires, or call it needs, or whatever, whether whatever it is that He wants to have. And that he expresses to Moshe Rabbeinu and exactly how we should build the tabernacle and then eventually the Beis HaMikdash. And when we do it that way, that facilitates Hashem, and then God can come live inside that Mishkan, that makes God very happy. But it's not only a physical structure, as we're going to see each and every single one of us has the entire physical structure of the Mishkan equivalent to that in our own souls and in our own bodies. Which means in our lives we have to also make ourselves into a home for Hashem, where Hashem can reside within each and every one of us. And by doing that, we continue making this Mishkan. Eventually, 
we make the entire world into a home from Hashem. We begin with one house on a hilltop. But, through, but then we, we see, sometimes we think that the exile was just because of sin. The exile wasn't just because of sin. Because it wasn't enough to have one tiny little home, a small little house on a hilltop. God ultimately wants to desire the entire world to be a home for Him. For that, the Jewish people have to scatter across the globe and build a whole bunch of little mishkans. And that's in each and every one of our homes, in each and every one of our shuls, and places that we set aside for divine worship and service of Hashem. That becomes another place where Hashem comes down and can manifest and can express Himself. And again, that is the whole purpose of creation, to create for God a place in this world. Not to go to heaven, not to achieve olam haba. That's all nice, that's all wonderful. That satisfies our desire. But what God desires is a home in the physical world. And that's the idea of basi lagani achaisi kala. Now just like it was the first time God came down to this world by Moshe Rabbeinu, by the giving of the Torah and the building of the Mishkan, so the main big, big, big project on a much greater scale is right, the seven generations right before Mashiach comes. Where there again you have a process of seven generations who work on drawing God down into this world so that Hashem can fully reveal Himself and this time permanently, everlasting, a home where God is going to live forever. And the exciting thing is that we are within those seven generations. So our last seven generations are awesome. To be alive at this particular time in, in history is incredible because we're within that last stretch of seven generations. And even more exciting, not only are we in the last stretch of seven generations, but we are in the final generation, which means we're the final generation that actually has to make it happen in the same way. That's why we know that we're expecting Mashiach momentarily because we know the work has been done already through the spreading of Yiddishkeit, through the entire world, and Jews doing mitzvahs all over the world in a way that's unparalleled in the last years with the spreading and reaching out to so many Jews that have been unaffiliated and just Jews doing mitzvahs one mitzvah at a time place place after place today there isn't a place in the world where, there, where you cannot find some kind of a Jewish institution or something where a mitzvah could be observed freely and encouraged all of that is part of making this world into a home for Hashem so this is the idea of Basi Lagani so now let's read it Basi Lagani Kala and my father-in-law, the previous Rebbe, the Bali Lula, Bali Lula means the one whose yard site is at this time. Which was given out, which he provided and he published for the day of his, of his passing. The day of his wedding. Interesting. The day of a passing of a tzaddik is called a wedding for reasons that we're not going to discuss tonight. Yud Shvat Tashin Yud, which comes out on the 10th day of Shvat, in the year Tashin Yud, in the year 1950. Which he brings on this, um, on the word Lagani, when it says Gani, which means by garden, so the Medrash says, Lignuni, to my bridal chamber. To the place where I was first over here. In other words, initially I began over here. Because this is where, this is what I desire. This is what I'm attracted to. God is attracted very much to the physical world. Even though Hashem has a gazillion, gazillion, gazillion spiritual worlds. Full of light, full of glowing angels. 
that sing His praises all day long and that are holy and unbelievable. Yet God doesn't take any interest in that. What He desires is the physical, the lowest of all worlds. Because before the sin, why is this considered the place of where God originated? Meaning this is His initial place in creation. This is His nest. It's like a bird returning to its nest. Because before the sin of Adam and Eve, Adam and Chava, the main place of the Shechina, or the main place of the Divine Presence, was in this lower world. As a result of sins, which lasted for seven generations, a continuous consecutive um, sinning uh, spree, if we might call it. The first seven generations of, from when God created the world, they began to spiral out of control in a negative way. Silku as a shechina, they caused the shechina, which means the divine presence, from the bottom, from below, to escape, to retreat, to go away, to withdraw from this world. Until the shechina went up to the seventh heaven. And after that, then God did not give up on his world. God said, okay, let it let 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 the people kind of um, explore. Let them explore. Let them try to figure themselves out. And that's the way it is when you start exploring and start doing things on your own. First you'll make mistakes and you'll fall. Like a little child on a bicycle for the first time or on rollerblades. Takes a couple of times when you slip and fall and get a boo-boo, and then eventually you learn how to do it. And this is what happened. The world, trial and error, seven generations, until we finally came to the seventh generation. after the Amdu Shivat Sadiqim, seven Sadiqim got up. Shivadairis, seven generations. Shahiridu Laaretz. They brought the Shekhinah back down here to this world. Beginning with Avram Avinu, who Avram Avinu was the first Sadiq, in which we say Echad Avram, Avram was. One and unique. He drew the Shechina down from the seventh heaven to the sixth heaven. And so continued. Yitzchak was the second generation. Yaakov was the third generation. And then Levi is considered the fourth tzaddik. And then after Levi goes, um, uh, uh, Kahas is considered the fifth generation and then after Kahas is Amram, who is the sixth. And then the seventh one is Moshe. Achabah Moshe, until Moshe Rabbeinu comes. Shehu HaShvi, and he's the seventh one. And what we say about the seventh one, V'chal HaShvi and Chavivin, that the seventh one, has, we find that God cherishes always the number seven. Seven has a special, a special affection in God's eyes. We find that when God created the days of the week, the seventh day is a special special day. It's the Shabbos day, the day that he loves most. And the same is also in the seven years. The seventh year is Shemitah. It's also. And then we know that when Hashem gives the Torah, he has a seven-week preparation at the end of the seventh. That's when he gives the Torah. And also when he wanted to give the Torah, he chooses the seventh tzaddik, because the seventh is always the most special. Chol hashvin chavivin, and all the seventh are special. He draws down and he draws God down from the seventh heaven down here to the earth. And that's the greatest accomplishment. 
as long as you're bringing gods from heaven to heaven, even though it's a closer heaven, but God is still in heaven. Which means that He's still only recognized and experienced in the spiritual. When we say heaven, we mean spiritual. When we say earth, we mean physical. And it took, it took until Moshe Rabbeinu, and that Moshe Rabbeinu finally gave God and godliness an expression in the physical world. Because until, even, until that time, if you wanted to connect to God, you had to, your only route, your only, your only way was through some kind of spiritual meditation. And that's why there were no physical mitzvahs. Even though we know that Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov did the mitzvahs, they did them all in the spiritual realms. They had what we call in the Arizal, they had the various different kavanot. They were very, very knowledgeable in the Kabbalistic meaning of every mitzvah. And they had, uh, and they had in mind all the permutations of the divine names which are associated with these mitzvahs. They did not do the mitzvah in the physical sense because physic, the physicality was, was not capable of hosting or facilitating anything godly and anything holy. Until Moshe Rabbeinu came and he built the bridge from heaven to earth. He connected God down to the physical, into this world. Today's days, if you put on tefillin, you wear tzitzis, you do any other mitzvah, any mitzvah that a person does, gives tzedakah, light Shabbos candles, whatever the mitzvah is, the very physical mitzvah, even if you have no spiritual intentions at all, you're doing the mitzvah in a rush, you're doing the mitzvah mindlessly, doesn't make a difference, the connection is happening. Your physical body is connecting to the infinite God, through that physical action, just because God is now through these particular activities that is written out for us in Shulchan Arach, exactly how we do a mitzvah in the material physical world, that's the accomplishment. That was the breakthrough of the giving of the Torah. And that's what he's saying, that was Moshe Rabbeinu, who brought the Shekhinah down here to the world. And that's why, what do we find was the culmination, what was the icing, what was like Moshe Rabbeinu's like, chief accomplishment. What was his like ultimate accomplishment? After everything, took the Jewish people out of Egypt, he split the sea, brought them, heaven, brought them bread from heaven, water out of Iraq, brought, gave them the Torah, fought against Amalek. I mean, unbelievable what he accomplished. But his chief and greatest accomplishment was that he built for the Jewish people a Mishka. That was his job. Constructing, because everything else is only a preparation. The Indian of Moshe, that Moshe was commanded, the Kayam is the Indian, and he fulfilled it. You will make for me a sanctity, you will make for me a holy place, and and I will live. You'll make for me a sanctuary, I mean. And I will live amongst them. The intention of the Beis Amigdash. Which includes also the Mishkan, which is called Mikdash. He, and now here's the idea. Creating this for God, making a Mishkan, it doesn't end over there. That is, the, that is what, that's just the beginning of it. The beginning of what? Bringing God into the physical world. From the dwelling of the Shekhinah that is in the Mishkan. Godliness should be felt in the entire world. There should be divine revelation everywhere. Every single person, even in the other corner of the globe, should be more aware of God as a result of the Mishkan. It's not like just, it's not like just you know, you have a shrine. You know, the Muslims have Mecca. 
And this, it's a shrine. It's a nice, if you go visit there, you'll be inspired in some way. Sure, some kind of spiritual inspiration that one gets when you go to a place where so many people worship. If, of course, if it's, a, if it, if it's, if it's to Hashem. So it's not just that. The Mishkan is a place where, as a result of God making contact with the physical world, that this gives off vibrations throughout the entire world. And everybody becomes more aware of God, no matter where you are, as a result of God residing in the Mishkan. Like we find in the Beis HaMikdash of Shleima, that the way the windows were made were different than ordinary windows. Usually when you make a window, the reason you make a window in a structure, in a building, is you want, you want to make that the light that's coming, the sunlight that's on the outside should, um, should illuminate the house, should light up the house. So therefore you make the windows in a way that's going to increase the light in the inside. In the Mishkan, in the Beis Migdash, they had windows, but the windows were made in a way that the, it would increase the light outside because the light was in the Mishkan and it was going out to the world and it was meant to spread. So it was the physical light, but it was really the spiritual light that was going out of the Mishkan meant to illuminate outdoors. But this is all Moshe Rabbeinu's job. It wasn't the job of the other tzaddikim because he was the one who brought Hashem down Lamata down here in this world. And the drawing down the Shechina in the entire world, in the literal sense, through them building the Mishka, the Migdash, the dwelling of the Shechina will reach, godly revelation will reach the entire planet. Canal. Now this also includes not only drawing godliness down into the world in general, but it means particularly drawing Hashem down into every single Jew, into every neshama, into every soul. When a God says, make for me a base hamigdash, it says, I will dwell amongst them. It doesn't say, I will dwell amongst in it. In it. Grammatically, it should have said, make for me a Migdash, and I will dwell in it. What does it mean, and the answer is, that Hashem wants to dwell in every single one of us. Every single Jew is an embassy. An embassy, just like an embassy, a country has an embassy. What's an embassy? An embassy is a place that's the territory of that country. If you run into an American embassy when you're in Iran, you're kind of safe. Unless the Iranians decide that they're not interested in keeping that. But generally, when you're inside the borders of an embassy, it's as if you are on in, within the borders of that particular country. So it's the same as also over here. Every single Jew is an embassy where God, this, is the, this place, the space of the Jews of the Jew's physical body and his surroundings, his home, as far as we reach, that space is, is godly. It's a holy place. So, so every Jew is like a Beis HaMikdash, a minor Beis HaMikdash. And the point of it is that the glow of the Jew's light, the illumination, the godly illumination that's shining in a Jew's neshama should affect all of his or her surroundings. And eventually we should light up the entire world. 
How do we know that? That it's not just about us, but it's supposed to reach every Gentile. It's supposed to reach across the planet to every single human being across the world. How do we know that? Well, we say it in the blessing. We say, Baruch Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam. Blessed are you, God. Now, blessed in Hebrew, in, in, according to Hasidus, blessing doesn't only mean we're blessing. Blessing means we're drawing down. Baruch means a flow. Baruch Ata Hashem. We're asking God. You should, we're actually not just asking. We're drawing down. Baruch Ata, you God. Hashem, the transcendental infinite light of the Tetragrammaton, of the Yud Kevavke. We want that to be drawn down, Elokeinu, to become our power. Elokeinu means force. Our life force that's, that's flowing in our blood, our power in our life is not nature. It's not like the rest of the world that is living off nature. I'm alive because of whatever. I'm alive and I sense every second that it's God, you, that's flowing in my bones, that's flowing in my limbs. Every thought that comes to my head, I know you put that thought in my head. It's all coming from you. Every ounce of strength I have, every idea I have, anything I do, it's, all, um, it's the power of you that's flowing in me. But what do we say? After Elokeinu, we say, Melech Olam, the king of the world. And why do we say, why do we say that after Elokeinu? Because how does God come down to be the king over the world? How does divine, how does divinity, Hashem's light, flow into all of mankind? It has to first go through our souls. We are the channels. The Jewish people are the channels. Elokeinu, and through us, Melech Olam. And God cannot be king over the world if it's not through the Jewish people. So therefore, through this, that he is our God, through this God becomes the king of the world. So what do we just see? Just, just and simple. What did we learn just now in the first thing? The desire of God is to have a home in this world, which means the entire world should be filled with his light. How is that accomplished? Through seven sadikim. It was completely, and was culminating in Moshe Rabbeinu, who built a home, which is an actual place where God, a headquarters, where God will live in this world. Through the Beis Amigdash, His light will extend across the entire world. And then in some little way, every Jew is a Beis Amigdash. And that means every single Jew is responsible, not only to bring God into His own life, into His own neshama, into His own body, but also to influence all of our surroundings so that everybody's infused with godly consciousness as a result of us being there. Now, so if we begin chapter number two. What we understand from over here is that the Mishkan is not just a little detail. You know, we have 53 parshios in the Torah. 53 portions. And one week we study the Ark of Noah. And the Ark of Noah is very special and very important and we have a lot of lessons we learn out of it. But it's still a detail. It's a little detail in the kind of the experience of the year. One year we focus on the Ark of Noah. One week, I'm sorry. And another week we're going to focus on some other idea that's discussed on the Mitzorah. And not speaking Lashon Hara because we learn out. And that's the week we focus on that. Of course, the lessons have to be with us all year long, but it's one particular part of our life. However, Parshas Teruma, 
tetzave, which we talk about making a mishkan, that's not just one partic- one piece in the puzzle or one you know one 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 part of our Jewish experience. That is everything, because obviously we understand that this is a very general thing. It's not a a, a particular piece. It's not a particle, but it's it's the entire kavan. It's the entire purpose. It's the entire goal. So therefore, this is a very general thing. In this Mishkan, that's why we have to analyze the Mishkan really well. And by analyzing the physical aspects of the Mishkan, of how it was built, and all the parts of it, the materials that were used, and the like, we will gain understanding of what our purpose in this world is all about. How do we make this world into a home for God? We're going to use the Mishkan as the prototype we're going to use the Mishkan as the kind of the example. And we're going to build off that. That's going to be our, our uh, little model. We we'll use that as a model. And then we see, what does that mean? How do we apply that in our own lives? Because in the Mishkan, we can see the the type of Avodah. Which through it, How do we draw the main Shechina? How do we draw the innermost of the Divine Presence down here in the physical world? which is the purpose of everything. As it was at the beginning. To get it back the way it was when God created the world on the first day of creation before mankind messed it up. And this is why it says in the Pasuk, well, we have right away instructions. The main Mishkan was built from big wooden beams. That's the main materials. It says, You should make beams for the Mishkan. Shittim wood, which is like a type of wood, acacia wood. It should be standing upright. You put these beams down, like these tall beams. They were 10, 10 cubits tall, about 20 feet or 15 feet tall. And you lined them up one next to each other. And you had these big, big tall walls of the Mishkan. but let's see. The Mishkan was built from Shitim, from Shitim wood. What is Shitim wood? What does this mean? The Indian Shitim. The moment we hear that it's made out of this type of wood called Shitim. Oh, so the, the sages tell us that why was Shittim called Shittim? Because the Jewish people um, did a sin. When the Jews came to the place called Shittim, which was actually a place full of these Shittim trees, at that place the Jews um, were, were, uh, were, uh, went, um, fell into a terrible sin. They were seduced by the daughters of the, by the Moabite women, and that was the time when they sinned with the, with the days of Pinchas, right? The story when Bilam gave the Midianites and the Moabites the idea that if he can get the Jews to sin, then God would get upset at them. So this all happened at this place called Shittim. So the sages take that, they just say, well, the word Shittim has a meaning, a deeper meaning. The word Shittim comes from the word Shtus, and Shtus means stupidity. It means foolishness, folly. And what it's saying is, and the sages say, well, the Jews came to that place and they sinned. You know why? Because in order to sin, a person has to become temporarily insane. Because if a person would keep his mind clear, if you have a clear mind, you'd never sin. Because what's a sin? A sin means disconnecting from God. And God is life. And just like a person would not do generally, a healthy human being would not do something that, that would jeopardize his life in a way, especially where we can clearly see 
that by doing this, and there's an immediate consequence. Sometimes people do things that you don't realize. That's also stupid, you know. A person in today's days and age, after we have all the information, decides to start smoking. It's just, it's just outright stupidity because ultimately you're, short, you're, shorting, you're shortening your life. So it's just, you know that, right? So you know, it's so stupid. But especially if it's an act where you know that the consequences are going to be immediate. It's not like a long-term uh, problem. It's something that is the harm can come instantly. I was going to jump off a, t- uh, you know, a, t- uh, a five-story roof. You know, Everybody wants to live. Don't want to do something. So disconnecting from God, I mean, anybody a little, a little understanding? How do we get our life? We're not, we don't create ourselves. Our life is coming from Hashem. Hashem is pumping life into us every second. So God forbid doing something against God's will is disconnecting from Hashem. That means pulling the plug on life. No one would do that. With a clear mind, we wouldn't do that. So the sages say, before the Yetzirah gets us to sin, he has to play a game on us. And what he does is, he bewilders our mind, a spirit of stupidity enters a person, and a person becomes insane, literally. And you see things, and you don't see things clearly. And then you can go ahead and do an, a sin. That's why we always know that right after we do a sin, we realize that's why we feel so stupid afterwards. We feel like, like, come on, like, well, why in the world did I do this? And we feel, we feel really upset and we feel regret. Because what happens is, the moment the spirit of stupidity goes away, we're left with our sane minds and we wonder it wasn't worth it. This whole thing was just totally ridiculous. Why did I do this? So, because you see, that's why that place was called Shtus, to teach you this idea, that there's a spirit, right? Now, but what are we saying? But here we're saying like this. To build a Mishkan, we're saying, so you gotta go, what was the base of Mishkan built with? You used Shittim words. So hold it, we just said that Shittim means Shtus, stupidity. So which really comes out to say something very, very strange. That means that we're building the Mishkan out of stupidity. Which is, I mean, you're building something for God, you would think you need gold, silver, you need something really, really special to build a home for God. It's saying, no, 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 the primary material that you need to build a home for God is stupidity. And being that we all have a whole lot of that, so we all qualify for building a home for God. You see, if, if you would need great talent, if you would need great whatever, you would need great wisdom and great strength or whatever to build a home for Hashem. Some people might have an excuse that I don't have that. But since what is required is stupidity, and we have that, so we can all build a Mishkan. Now what does it mean to build a Mishkan out of stupidity? So we'll understand that in a minute. The only way you can draw down the main Shechina into this world is by utilizing insanity. And the reason, he says, a very simple reason. What caused God to run away from this world? What chased Hashem away from the world in this first place? It was sins that people did. And the sins that were done was stupidity. you imagine how stupid, I'm sorry for you being so blunt, but how stupid Chava felt right after she ate that, whatever it was? She says, like, what did we do? For this? I mean, how tasty was it? Like, like, <laughs> so... And they felt, but again, they, they were the first people who experienced this Ruach Shtus. They had to have it, they had to have it, they had to have it. And a minute later, they realized how naked they were, how ridiculous it is, right? So, but then the lessons didn't learn because the next generation continued with the stupidity. Seven generations continued sinning. So since we chased God away with stupidity, with insanity, so the way to bring Him back is not through intellectualization. 
not through big chachmas and big understanding. The way to bring God back is also just a pity, but he's going to introduce a very interesting idea. And that is called shtusta kedusha. Shtusta kedusha means holy insanity. We have to take the very, 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 very insanity, but use it in a holy way. Since the drawing of the Shechina down is after its departure. Through seven generations. The way they chased God away, it was through an unholy stupidity. In other words, you're doing something that you know is ridiculous, but the Yetzirah is pushing you to do, pushing a person to do something that is utterly, utterly insane. Right? But you're doing, so you, the insanity is for an unholy purpose. How about using that same insanity for good things? The sages say, a person would not sin unless a spirit of shtus enters into them. We turn over the page. Right? To page 100. That's why we need to bring the shechina back down into the world. When we bring God back into the world, what does the world mean? Olam. The word olam means a place of conceal, a place of concealment. How do you bring God back into a place where God is hidden and concealed? You need to utilize holy shtus. Why? The way it always supposed to work is measure for measure. And just like the unholy uses stupidity to get its way around, to make its way as its fuel. What fuels all advance? Think about it. All advance of unholiness in this world. See, just like God is trying to get His name spread everywhere, Hashem wants kind of to be popular everywhere. That's the purpose. That godliness, because Hashem is the creator, should be everywhere. So too, the unholy is also trying to push its way everywhere all the time. And they're pretty, pretty successful. But what's their instrument that they use? Right? They're not necessarily using intellectual art. This that's not most of the times we do something wrong. It's not through deep thinking that we really, really think things through and come to deep, deep understanding that the right way in life is to go ahead and do that sin. That's not what happens. A moment of desire comes over us, a moment of this craving, and we would sit down for two minutes and analyze the craving. We would see how utterly stupid it is how ridiculous it is, and how it's not going to give us any, any, any gain. It's only going to mess up our lives. And yet, so what do you see? That unholiness makes its advance and get its fuel, its energy that it uses to push its agenda in this world is through just creating a lot of noise and making a lot of choo-choo-choo, and it's absolute stupidity. And yet everybody buys into it, and everybody follows this Narishkeit. So the same thing is Kedusha, also needs to catch on to that wave of stupidity, even though it Kedusha is truth and MS and everything, yet it has to, now when we say stupidity, I don't want to use, in Kedusha I don't want to use stupidity, in Kedusha we're going to use the word, the super rational, in other words it's going to work through a holy insanity, meaning that the drive is in a manner that's not necessarily seicholdig. Um, what does that mean? It's not enough to serve God based on reason. That means based on how much our minds comprehend and understand. Why? Because whenever you're doing something based on reason, it's all measured, limited. Because how much do you understand? 
They have a very limited understanding. So the excitement that understanding will produce is a limited excitement. You need to get into the raw energy of the soul. To get to the raw energy of the soul, it comes through an avoda that's not based on your mind. It's based on deeper than your mind. We need to have shtusta kedusha. Shtusta kedusha. Shtusta kedusha is a very, very powerful idea. Shazer inyan atzei shitim, and that's the idea of atzei shitim. Let's try to give an example. What's shtusta kedusha? Okay. So when someone gets on, gets up on a plane and walks up and down the aisles and starts bothering people if they're Jewish, if they want to put on tefillin, that's absolutely stupid. But you know what? It's holy stupidity. And the guy makes everybody crazy. And the guy says, what are you doing over here? Walking around with his black boxes and putting it on people's heads. And they're like, leave me alone. You're a normal person. What do you want from me? I'm on the plane. I'm going on vacation. No, 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 no. Right now you're going to put it on. That's stupidity. Nervous then. And and that's the way you you get godliness done in this world. It's not always through being normal. It's not through normalcy. It's through craziness. Through holy kedusha, holy craziness, and holy craziness is what's needed to transform this world. Because if we would just, you know, have we try to conquer the world just with great philosophers and thinkers, it's not going anywhere. It's only through the power of the youth, of the young, they're not afraid to act crazy, and through that craziness, you get you 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 get things done in a holy way. This is the Atei Shittim of the Jewish people. You have to go beyond your mind, beyond your Seichel. And it also means also in our own lives. I'm talking that's in regards to influencing others. Where you go out of like kind of what's like the... Like the accepted norm of what you know, what 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 people usually do on certain behaviors, which are like, um, and you go you go a little you're a little wild, you're a little bit wild with kedusha, which is really good, but it's also in regards to oneself. It's when you become stubborn with yourself to a point where you're acting in an insane manner, in order to do a mitzvah. Well, you like you try to do a mitzvah once, twice, it doesn't work. It's not working out. Things are like you give up. Okay, it's not working. Holy insanity means that you're not going to leave go. You're not going to leave go. And everybody says to you, come on, stop already. It's like, you know. But no, no, no. If, if something needs to get done, it's going to get done. And even if it means whatever, you know, it, it needs to get done. And that's just the way it is. That's, that's holy stupidity. And through this, that this, we affect this by our, ourselves, we also affect this in the world. Melech olam. We, we, as we said before, Elokei nu, through us, Melech Olam, we bring Kedusha into the entire world. And this will also understand Masha Inyan Amigdash, This is also, will also be understood as what the idea of the Migdash was. Which idea? This idea that he's not going to talk right now about the Shtusta Kedusha for a moment right now, but he's going back. The idea of making the world into a place where God can reside. Where you're drawing Hashem down from the highest of the high to the lowest of the low. That's the reason also why one of the main, the main services in the Beis HaMikdash was Karbonis. was the void of Karbonis. Mitzvah says, Salas is biased Hashem. The Rambam says, it's a, it's a mitzvah to make a house for God. 
a place that is set to offer karbonis. In other words, it's a place designated for sacrifices. Now, one of the services of the Mishkan is the service of karbonis. Because in the Mishkan, it wasn't the only thing that they did was do karbonis. They did other things. But the main or one of the primary avodah over there was karbonis. Now, the Rebbe is interesting saying that Tevis Achas, that when the previous Rebbe uses the term Achas <coughs> one of the one of the services in the base of English, the word Achas is chosen on purposely. That Achas is the female, the feminine way of saying Echad. So, Chari should have said, the previous Rebbe should have said, the Echad Ha'avoydeis, Shahoya Bamishkan. One of the types of services in the more usual term, which is echad. Why does he use the term achas? Which is the same idea, but less common, and it's the feminine way of saying it. And the answer is because he's also alluding to that this service that we're doing in the Mishkan, which is in general the service of the Mishkan, and the karbanes that are in the Mishkan, the, the underlying power that has to be over there that is like driving this whole service, has to be, as we said before, it has to be deeper than the mind. Your inspiration cannot just come. See, the mind is a very powerful tool, but the mind is also limited. You have to dig deep inside to the places much deeper than your mind. Getting deeper into the more core essential powers of your soul that are higher than one's intellect. And that's where the shtus is, that's where the insanity comes from. In other words, where the energy is not yet filtered, the mind is a filter. When you allow the energy to gush forth as it is, like the pure desire, pure willpower, and deeper pure essence, which is, which is the, the, what we call in the levels of the soul, we know the neshama has five names. Nefesh, ruach, neshama, chai, yechida. So the, the nefesh, ruach, neshama is the part of the neshama that is more... Um, limited, it's more connected to the various different faculties of our human, our 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 human side, our intellect, our emotions. But then the chayachida is more the divine, pure divinity of our soul, and ultimately, especially yachida, it's the spark of God that's within us. It's the essence, the highest part of the neshama is the yachida. Now he wants to say he was telling us earlier that when you're serving God, it has to, a service of Hashem to build. If you want to make the world into a home for God, it has to be with the energy of Yechida Shabbenefesh. It has to be fighting from your essence, to be turned on from your essence, not just from your intellect. Therefore, he uses the term Achas, because Achas is referring to the the essence of one's neshama. It's called Achas. Well, I'll tell you why. What do we say about God? About God we say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Now if, we are, if we're God's wife, if He's Echad, then we are what? We are Achas. We're the feminine ver- term for Echad. Echad and Achas get married. So that's why it's, <coughs> He uses the term Achas Ha'avodais. Because referring to the the essence of the spark of Hashem that's within us, that's a recipient of the Echad. The Tevis Achas Remezes Le'inyana Yechidah Shebenefesh is indicative of the Yechidah of the deepest part of the soul. 
I didn't get it, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't really look 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 at this just a moment, just a few minutes before. Um is as I I didn't check up what this is referring to, Adla Achas. But Toysvis says over there, the Yeshgar Sim Adla Achas, um the Yesh Mefarshim Adachas, Ada Nefesh and Ikras Yechida. So Toysvis says clearly that Yechida is called Achas. The Yechidush Benefesh Ulamaila Makol Madidis Vagbalis. And that part of our neshama has no limitations and no boundaries. That's why it's called yechida, because it's totally one with God. It is unified to, for you. Anyways, so one of the services in the Beis Amigdash was what? This is all parenthetical. One of the services in the Beis Amigdash was karbonis. The inyan karbonis, and the idea of karbonis, like the rest of the mishkan, that too, each and every one of us has in our service. Every single one of us has the ability. In other words, not only can we bring a carbon in the Beis Amigdash, but in each every single one of us in our own Beis Amigdash, we also have the service of bringing sacrifices. And what is that? Like the Alter Rebbe explains, like it says, In the beginning of Sefer Vayikra it says, if a man will offer from you a karban. So it doesn't say, now the, grammatically it should have said, Adamikem, a man from amongst you, kiyakriv, when he wants to offer. It doesn't say a man from amongst you. It says, Adam kiyakriv mikem, a man who will offer from amongst you a karban. The word mikem from amongst you should have been placed earlier in the Pasuk. Now we're reading it differently. Adam kiyakriv, if a person wants to offer a sacrifice or if a person wants to come close, mikem karban lashem, you should take a piece of yourself and offer it to God. So the karban is referring to the word mikem, from you, give up a piece of your own comfort, give a piece of yourself away from God. Mikem karban, the karban is from you. Ikara karban hu mikem. Don't think a carbon is just a, a sheep or a goat. The carbon is from one's own, 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 own making, a, making a sacrifice. And here too there is a difference. And we say that every person has got to offer himself as a carbon. What does that mean? The animal side. Because there's a part of us that likes to eat. There's a part of us that likes to do everything that an animal likes to do. And has the same... Same, the same, same ambition in life as an animal. And that is just to be comfortable. Don't bother me. I want to be comfortable. I want to lay in bed. I want to eat chips, drink soda. And that's it. That's, that's, like, that's, the, that's the animal side of a person that just likes to just be like a cow. And now the Avaida is to offer that up for God. That means that to go out of our comfort zone for holiness, for doing a mitzvah, whether it's giving up of our time, whether it's giving up of, of our comfort to do a mitzvah, to reach out, to help others, a lot of times making ourselves uncomfortable, that's the idea. But everybody's got a different type of an animal, that's what he mentions over here. You can't say, two, no, no two people have the same. What one person needs to, the animal that I have to sacrifice for God is different than the animal that you have to sacrifice because we all have different animal tendencies. So some people have 
their their animal soul is a very 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 um, it's it's it uh, it's animal it's animalistic trait is that it will get very very easily very easily uh, ticked off. It gets it, one has a very quick temper. So that's one knows. That's my nature of my animal soul. So then that means that someone has like more of an ox. Because you don't want to mess with an ox. Because an ox will gore. And that means a person has to deal with his animal, his or her animal, that is quick to get angry. Other people are pleasures. Whoa. Excuse me? Who, ask them who it is. Okay, open. Anybody have a van? Okay, the second one is sometimes there is sometimes there is a kesev. A kesev is a sheep. Okay, no. So a sheep is a is 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 a pleasure seeker. That's its its thing. That's its animal. So if a person has that intense need or desire always to be to have all of all of its pleasures met so then that's tavoda that's where we have to deal with our animal side or a's different 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 creatures as explained in other places what this means this animal but in general the general idea what does it mean what does it mean to bring a carbon? It means bring your animal closer to God. Karba means close. Bring it closer. Simply it means when I'm doing an animal activity, which we're, as human beings, we do a lot of the time. We just need, to, we, to survive, we need to do things. But we shouldn't do it like an animal that's far from God. We should do it like an animal that's close to God. What does that mean? If I'm eating and I'm having, and I'm, and I have a little godly awareness while I'm eating, that I'm eating so that I can be healthy to serve Hashem. I study a little Torah when I eat. I try to infuse that physical activity with a little godly awareness. That means I'm penetrating into the animal arena, into the animal zone, bringing Kedusha into that animal zone. And that's the idea of Korban. Korban Malashin Kirov HaKoychais. I got to bring close my Koychais. Vachushim, chushim are my senses. V'raza de korbana, oila ad raza de ein saif. So once a person elevates his kochos, his powers, vachushim and his senses, to become a little more divine sensitive, what happens? This korban, this coming close, it might just be a little action, a little self-control, with the awareness of I want to get closer to Hashem. And therefore, in order to get closer to God, I need to get a little bit out of me. 
Instead of me, my life being me-oriented, it should become God-oriented. And if I can't do it in my whole life, but if I can take just a tiny little part of my life, and till, that till now was filled only with me, and now I am turning it to be filled with, with an awareness of Hashem and a closeness to Hashem, what does that do? That, when they offered a carbon, it says that the scent, the scent, the smoke, and the scent that went up, it went all the way up. So the Zohar says, how high did it go? The Zohar says it reaches the secret of Ein Sof. It reaches to the infinite, infinite, and boundless. Raza de Kurbana, Oila, Ad Raza de Ein Sof. The secret of a Kurban goes up to the Ein Sof, literally. That's what we explained earlier. The Inyan Amishkan, Um Mingdash, so what do we have over here? Just We're seeing from here that the idea of Migdash and Mishkan is to reach to the highest of the high, what he called it, what did he call it earlier? Iker Shechina, the main essence of the Divine Presence, the Iker Shechina. And where to draw that down? Where to? To bring it down into earth. And that's what, that's what we're connecting over here in the Beis HaMingdash, in a carbon. Dealing with an animal, dealing with a cow, and where is it? Where is the smoke of this cow going up to the Ein Sof? And the same is in our life. We're dealing with something that we think is just so so mundane, yet a little bit bending, a little bit, a little, a little bit compromise, a little giving in in an area where you know it's so meaning, it's so. So important to us that that physical pleasure, that physical delight, that physical experience, and then I make room for Hashem right over there in that very physical part of my life. That pleasure and that delight reaches to the quintessence of God Himself and draws Hashem down from the highest of the high into the lowest of the low. Shetum shech lamata that Hashem should come down here below. Vezeu mashem mamshech ba maimer on page one hundred. Tzadikim brings a pasuk. It says a pasuk. Tzadikim yirshu aretz. Tzadikim are going to inherit the land. Which land are we? The yishkenu laad and they bring down laad. Now, simply the way he translates over there is tzadikim are going to inherit the land means the land is referring to the land of life, Gan Eden. It's called the land of life. Tzadikim are going to inherit Gan Eden. For what purpose? Why? The Yishkenu La'ad Aleha. Because they bring down Shochein Ad. Ad means the one who is eternal. The one that's forever. Ad. The one that... Ad means really... Could mean two things. Ad means until here. And when you also can say Va'ed, for instance, which is the word Ad, means forever and ever. Something that doesn't have an end. So tzaddikim, the yishknu la'ad, because they bring la'ad, they, because they bring the Ein Sof down where? Into this world. That's the Ein Sof, In this lower world, through that we make a dira. Sovev means, because we know the Tsar tells us that there's two types of divine divine light. One energy of God is very constricted and limited. It 
contracts itself to the limitations of the world. And then there is the infinite light of God that's called encompassing, surrounding, because it's higher than the creation. And the avoda is not just to draw down the limited godliness, but to reach to the Ein Sof. And the reaching of the Ein Sof is dafka when we're doing karbonos, meaning when we're gauging the animal side in ourselves. Because a person, see, here's the thing. A person technically can live a very, very spiritual life and never, ever, never, ever have served God for one moment. It's frightening. Yeah. Because spirituality is really the experience of the soul. And when a person has great ecstasy, and moments of great bliss, spiritual bliss, in which they're enjoying their, their soul's connection with God, that's wonderful, that's nice, that's very pleasurable to you. But what is that giving God? Not much. Because the soul is holy to begin with. And your soul was, clo- was in heaven, it was okay, it was doing well up there. Didn't have to come down here for that purpose. Anishama comes down into this world to infuse the material, the physical with godliness. It means the very space which is uncomfortable with holiness. The very space in you that doesn't want to let God in. The space in you which says, this is my space. So therefore a person can have their moments. You know what? Once a week Shabbos, I go to shul, I do my godly thing. And it's very meaningful to me. But to see, when there's no sacrifice, that's what he's really saying. When there's no sacrifice in something that's comfortable, and you're not entering into the space of the physical world. You're not entering into the space that's ungodly. And that's the whole, the whole idea is conquering. Conquering pieces of the part of that which is resistant to holiness. That's the void of karbonis. That's the void of making a mishkan. Getting to the earthy part of ourselves. And over there, having kedusha. And that's how you make a dira for the Ebishtah. Now what do we do with these shitim wood? Okay, we said we make a mishkan. Now, really over here, is right over here at this point, in Sif Gimel, is really, till now, he was just doing a little synopsis on the general idea of the Maimer. Now, in Perek Gimel, is where he's really getting to that, to that Perek, which he's going to expound on. The sixth chapter of the Basilagani talks about the etymology of the word Keresh. You see, the Mishkan was made up, as we said before, beams of wood. Those beams are called krashim. Krashim is plural. In the singular, each one is called a keresh. And here's also a very interesting thing. The word word keresh, if you rearrange the letters, is the word sheker. Sheker means lies. Which gives you the same idea. What are you making a mishkan? What do you use to make a mishkan for a god? Not your soul. Not your... Not the whole, not 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 the truth in you. That's not you use. You need to use the lying part, the part of ourselves that is in denial of of holiness, the part that denies God, the part that doesn't want to know Hashem. That very part, that's davida. Take your sheker. Take that which is lying. Take everything that is wants to live in the lie, and over there, bring kedusha in. And, that, and now what he's going to analyze over here are the letters of the word Keresh. He says that every, the, the, we learn in Hasidus all the time 
that the Hebrew word of something is the soul. The Hebrew letters that we name something as a name, it relates to, that's the energy. So if an if a, if a eagle is called a nesher, nin shun re, shin, shin reish, the nin shin and reish, these are the letters that make up its spiritual anatomy. So the word keresh is made up of the kuf reish and the shin. So he's going to start analyzing what the kuf reish and the shin mean. And then we're going to see, and he's going to say that these are corrupted letters, mostly. Not the shin, the kuf and the reish. These are letters that are are, 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 are in some way perverted by the other side. And we're going to see in a minute, a, a, a kuf is a corrupted hay, is a, is, is, is a misformed hay. And a dalit and a reish is a messed up dalit. And that's why it belongs to the other side. Because the, 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 the other side twists things. So the reish and the kuf. But the point, and in order to give them a little bit more basis, they went and they grabbed the healthy letter. They went, they went and they grabbed the shin. Because the shin is a good letter, a letter that means truth. But when you take the shin and you add it to the kuf and the reish, you get the word sheker lies. Because every lie needs to have a little truth backing it up. Because if the lie is only going to be outright flat lie, then uh, no one is going to accept it. There has to be the little truth. So the sitra akhra grows and grabs the shin kind of to support it. And, 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 the, and, the, and the, 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 now the word kuf and reish on its own spells the word kar. Kar means cold. Cold means the opposite of life. Because something that's alive is warm. When something is lacking life, now obviously disconnect from God, when you disconnect, dalit and hay are two very powerful holy letters. Hey, we know, usually symbolizes Hashem. And Dalit too, as we're going to see. So these are very, very powerful holy letters. The Dalit and the Hey. It's, I said, it's also a very holy letter, as we're going to see later, what it's, what it's symbolic of. Dalit and Hey, very strong letters. And now the, 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 the Kuf and the Reish is a perversion of that. That's why it's disconnected from Kedusha. And that's why it's kar. Kar means cold, which really means lifeless, like a dead body. But then it would be totally dead. It needs to have a little energy, so it kidnaps the shin. It abducts the shin. So that's the idea of like, golos ha-shechina, the shechina, which is the shin. Shin stands for shechina. Which I didn't see anyway, I just made it up now, so don't take that seriously. Anyways, the shin, but, the, but this is the, that's the concept. The shin is the power of kedusha. that's a spark of holiness that's giving the kuf and the resh some substance and some life so that they can continue uh, masquerading as if they're something. And hence the idea, you're supposed to take the sheker and turn it into a keresh. So let's see how that works. Anyway, we make from them beams, the lift before we begin doing work, it's shitim word. word. What do we do? Nasim Krashim, we make them into a keresh, and that's how we construct the walls for this divine dwelling place. You should make a keresh to the Mishkan. To understand the idea of the Krashim. We will understand this from their name. 
like it, the Alter Rebbe explains in Shari Yehud Vemunah B'Tayres Abal Shem Tov. He brings in the name of the Bal Shem Tov. The Chol Dover Sheba Olam, that every single thing in the world, Hinei Shemoyah Sheyikru Lebe Lashen HaKodesh Hu HaMahav HaMachayah Hisei. The Bal Shem Tov teaches, an amazing teaching of the Bal Shem Tov, that the name of anything, any item, any object, any animal, any creature, any angel, the name of it, that's, it, that, that, that's its energy. That's its, that's its chayas. And if that's its energy, so obviously the main content of something is in its name. If you want to understand and appreciate what's the content of something, what is the thing really all about, you have to break, you have to crack the code of its name. When you crack the code of its name, you know what it's really all about. It's understood in our the, the, that's why when you go to a tzaddik, you write your name and your mother's name on a paper. And they look. Because a tzaddik wants to take an x-ray of your soul. And he wants to know, like, what are you really all about? Because a tzaddik is here to assist you. So he needs to scan your soul. How does he scan your soul? He looks at your name, your mother's name, and then he's got the whole picture. Right? That's how they can see, because they can see. Because the name contains the... The, the whole the whole inner structure of, of, of whatever it is called by that name. Because um, we our that's interesting. We don't always use the mother's name. After a person passes on, we use the father's name. As a person is alive down here, it's their them and their mother's name. Um, will be understood from their name Keresh by analyzing the word Keresh it's understood in shame. so it's not and he does an interesting thing he says it's not just enough to look at the, the whole the whole name as a whole if you really want to get to know it very well to all of its details you have to you have to you have to you have to break it down to its tiniest particles so you have to take a look at each letter individually, and then you put it together. The whole Every name is made up of letters. The and every letter has a certain form, and the form of the letter is indicative of the nature of that letter. In other words, it's not some random. the The character, see, in in in, um, in other languages. The, the letters, then the shapes in the letters is just to, so you can identify. What will make an A an A or a B a B? It's because they needed an A to look like an A and a B and a B, so you'll know which one is what. And we needed everybody to agree on the same thing <clears throat> so that we can identify it all equally. There's no essential lesson and content to the, to the shape of an A or the shape of a B. But not so in the Hebrew letters, because God created the world with these, with these, with these letters. And every letter is... In, is an expression of another <coughs> form of divine, of a godly, of a godly life force. As Hashem's, Hashem creates the world through twenty-two building blocks of energy, and each letter is different than the other one. And it's and it's and by analyzing the shape and the form of the letter, you get to understand what's the character, what's the spiritual character, what are the qualities. Of this particular letter, so so al oisis moedan oifen am shachas shaday oizeh through this letter. Shemazem moven it's understood. Asha toichen teves keresh. 
So from this it's understood if we want to know what a keresh is, because we want to know what <coughs> keresh are the, are, the, are the beams which are used to build a mishkan. So we want to know what, what, what do we need to make? We need to build a mishkan, we need to make a keresh. This will be understood by breaking it down to its letters. We're going to look at this word keresh. We're going to analyze the letters. And we're going to analyze each individual letter and see what does the letter represent. And then we'll try to put it together and figure out what we got to do. And this is what he continues to explain in the sixth chapter from the Mimer. And he brings from the Zohar. The Zohar is an interesting thing. In the, in the introduction to Zohar, right at the beginning of Zohar, the Zohar discusses the letters of the Aleph base. And the Zohar says how each letter came before God. Because the Zohar is, is, is bothered how come God begins the creation with the letter base. Why does God choose the second letter? If anything, He should have chosen the first one. The Aleph. But creation does not begin, the Torah doesn't begin with an Aleph, it begins with Bereshis, with a base. So the Zohar says, why? And the Zohar says that each letter came before God and said, create the world with me. And every single letter was rejected. And God gives a reason why, and the Zohar gives a reason why this letter was not accepted. But only the base qualified to be the, 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 the power through which Hashem would create the world. The main letter, through the base. And every letter was, for whatever reason. And over there the Zohar says why the Kuf and the Resh were rejected. So it says over there, Maybe Zohar Bagdama, Bir Gimel Ois, Yeshem Ahmed Starfis, Tevis Keresh. I want to make just an interesting point. Um, Kuf and Resh are not um, always bad. And not essentially, because Yaakov has a Kuf, and Avram has a Resh. And Sarah has a resh. So obviously, you know, if you have a if you have a kuf and a resh in your name, doesn't mean uh, my name begins with a resh, right? So what, is, what does that mean? Doesn't mean that kuf and resh is bad. It means that in certain instances it represents the side of the negative, not, 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 not in, not. As a general idea, right? Okay, because you have a lot of very, very, very strong, powerful words that have a kuf and a resh in them. Okay, well, maybe Mazayer Bagdama be gimel ois yishem et tavtes keresh kuf reishin. So it says in the Zohar like this: the ois kuf vereish and asvin de ischaziu al sitra bisha. These are letters that are seen on the other side. They are seen on the other side. We begin with skyma, and in order for them to have, for the other side, to have um, s- substance, substantial power, not la'ois shin. They took along the shin begavayu. They drafted the shin. shin The letter shin is a letter of truth. Its three heads represent Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. It's a letter of truth. And they join the shin, and the Zohar continues to say, because a lie needs to have a little truth to it. Or else the lie is never accepted. So now the previous rabbi, however, explains why is kuf and resh letters that are related to the other side. 
So he explains the kuf erej hem leneged dalad vehei. Kuf and erej are the opposite of dalad and hei. Um, the dalad vereish doimim zelozeh. A dalad and a reish are similar to each other. Bidmusan. In their appearance. Take a look at a dalad and a reish. They're almost the same. And not only are they the same in their appearance, a dalad and a reish, that they look almost the same. Vechem bipirushan. Every letter in Hebrew is also a word. For example, for example, Aleph means chief. Because it's the chief of all letters. It's the chief, it's the, it's the first letter. We're gonna say it in we gonna in, in Parshas Bishalach, we say Oz Nivalu, we say it every day Davening, Alufe Edom, the chiefs of Edom. So Aleph is chief, it's the chief letter. Bays means a house. Bias is base because God created the house, the world with the base. See, every letter has is a word. Gimel is gomel. To do, to give, to be kind is the gimel. Dalid means the poor. The gimel gives to the dalid. That's why the gimel walks to the dalid. You ever see a gimel? The gimel has a leg, and it's walking, because the gimel is the giver. And the Dalit is the receiver. That's why the sages say, Gimel Dalit stands for Gimel Dalim. Give to the poor. So Dalit is poor. The word Dalit comes from the word Dal. Dal means poor. Now Resh also means poor. Rush is one of the words for a poor man. A poor man is called, we say it in Davening, we say, Kedalim ukerashim dafaknu delasecha. Like poor, we knock on your door. We use the word dal and rush. The only difference is, just one second, the only difference is, as we're going to see, dalid is a positive poorness, and rush is a negative poorness. It's the same word, but being poor can be a good quality, and it can be negative. And dalid is the poorness in a holy way, and rush is poorness in an unholy way. And the Dalit Umaloshan Dalus Vanius, poverty. Vechain Reish Umaloshan Reishus Vanius, also poor. But we know that they're very, very, very far from each other. They look the same, but they're, they are as far as can be one from the other. From extreme to extreme. Very simple. Therefore we know, If God forbid we exchange a dalid for a resh, or a resh for a dalid, when we're not supposed to, we can destroy the world. We can destroy the world. What do we mean by that? We say, With a big dalid. Look in your siddur. It's a big dalit. You want to make sure you say echod. You don't want to chas v'sholem say Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Acher. Acher means another God. Don't have any foreign gods. Don't switch the echod 
for the Reish. Don't switch to Dalit for the Reish. Terrible. Right? Um, or it says another Pasuk. It says, It says, It says, do not bow down to another god. If you switch that for a Dalid, it says, which is total opposite. Don't bow down to a one god. You For sure you should bow down to a one god. So the Dalit and the Reish should not be confused. You know who confused the Dalit with the Reish? Adam and Chava. After they sinned in the eight from the eight Sadas, God curses the earth. And God says to the earth, and koitz, then instead of giving out fruits, the earth is going to give you thorns and dardar, pokey stuff. Now dardar, what's dardar? Dardar is dalid resh, dalid resh. Dardar, dardar. In other words, the world is now going to produce a upside down, confused, um, switched things where the Dalit switches for the Reish and the Reish switch. You're going to switch the Dalit for the Reish and the Reish for the Dalit. In other words, as a result of the corruption that happened in the world, as a result of <coughs> Adam and Chava's sin, what can happen is that we can say, instead of Hashem Echad, we can say Hashem Acher, Elohim Acherim. And instead of don't bow down to Lekel Acher, it can become Lekel Echad. Not serving God and serving other gods. That's the meaning. Koitz vidar dar. Now you're going to have a reish dalid. You're going to have a. Um, it's called a. Um, what is it called when someone has a some kind of a dyslexia? The world as a whole got a reading dyslexia, in which we can't read clearly. We don't see the dalid for a dalid. We see the dalid for a reish and a reish for a dalid until the world heals. And these are the two, these are the, 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 the kuf and the resh that try to compete with the dalad and the hay. As we're saying now. The previous rabbi brings two examples. One of them is from the positive. Meaning, when you're supposed to do something positive and instead you switch it. If God forbid someone switches the dalad of the word echad, and instead he says a reish. He destroys worlds. Imagine, you say keil acher instead of keil Hashem. Sorry, Hashem acher instead of Hashem echad. Then he gives a second example. Where it tells you in the, in the, in the service of God that's not through positive action, but through refraining from doing something negative. The pasuk says, "Shem machlev adah aresh the tevis acher." Shem pasuk lo yisshtachavel lekel acher. The pasuk says, "Don't bow down to a foreign god." But is dalid, and you switch it for a dalid. Aresh a machrev oylemos. Again, God forbid, someone destroys the world. So you see that a dalid and a resh they look similar, but they're worlds apart. But now let's understand what's the difference. What does it mean in content? Why is the dalid so be- so good and the resh so super bad? In what sense? All it's missing, what's the difference between the Dalit and the and the and the and the and the Reish? The Dalit has a little kites in the back. See the Dalit the, the Reish is rounded in the end. The Dalit goes off a little bit out, it protrudes, it has like a little tail in the back. 
and then it, ha- it has the foot. That little tail is a little yud, just one little point in the back. The dalin has that yud, and that yud represents holiness because the yud is bittel. The yud in the back of the dalin is bittel. Bittel means humility, nullification, surrender to God. That kind of a dalin, that kind of poverty, to be poor because you're utterly humble is a very, very good thing. We all need to be that way. We need to, that's the, that's, that, that's, that, that's the general sign of any holiness. In holiness, see everybody's a Dalit. Everybody's receiving from God. The worlds are a Dalit. And everybody, because God is the rich man, right? He's the one who has everything. And He's the one that's giving. He's giving Ashba to us. The Dalit means we're receiving and we recognize we don't have nothing on our own. Like the moon. The moon doesn't have anything of its own light. All of its life, it's receiving from the sun. That's the Dalit. The attitude of a Dalit is to understand that we are poor. We don't have anything. And we're surrendering ourselves to who? To the mashpia, to the one that's giving. That, that's a good thing. So one can be rich, rich, rich. And when I say rich, I don't mean only rich in material wealth. A person can be rich with spiritual qualities and wisdom and knowledge. But they have the bitl of the Dalit. They have the little yud in the back. In the back of their mind, in the back of their head. They never forget that little point, being a tiny little dot, being nullified in front of Hashem, having that humility, and remembering that my successes, and my talents, and everything that I have, is a gift from God every minute to utilize it for serving Him. That's the Dalit. Okay? That's a healthy um, poorness. In a mavua b'shari yuchud v'amunah letziyum v'ayit. In Shara Yuchud Vamuna and Tanya, he explains that the, the way a letter looks like is indicative of the nature of that letter. What's the difference between a resh and a dalit? If we take a look at their, the way they look, the difference between a dalit and a resh in their appearances. Dalit has a little yud in the back. The ois yud, the letter yud, since the letter yud is the tiniest letter, essentially a yud is only a point, only a dot, a decimal point. That's the essence of the yud. It is only a nekuda, it's a point. Moira ala bitl. That is indicative of something that is very humble, something that is completely nullified, bittel. However, now the Rebbe is going to explain that when we say it's the letter Yud is indicative of bittel, the Yud that's in the back of the Dalit, in the Mimer of the previous Rebbe, he explains two things about that bittel. And he says, the Ois Yud Moira ala bittel va'aziriz garma. It is indicative of bittel, nullification. The fact that it makes itself small. As iris garma is an Aramaic term from the Zohar, referring to the moon. The moon, what does the moon do? In order for the moon to receive new light, Monday is going to be a new month. If you're looking at the moon, today the moon is tiny. And tomorrow night it's going to be tinier until Matzah Shabbos or Sunday you're not even going to see it in the sky anymore. Because the moon nullifies itself completely. 
I mean, essentially, the moon is still just as large as it is, but the visibility of the moon is showing that the moon is, is completely becoming humbled and humbled and humbled to the point that the moon has no appearance of self. There's nothing left. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. I don't exist. And I know that everything I have to receive from you, from the sun. So, that is the, that, that is the quality of the Shekhinah, the quality of Malchus. The Lesla Megar Meklum. Malchus is the Shekhinah, that's the source of holiness, of holiness as it is in the world. It's Lesla Megar Meklum, it doesn't have anything of its own. Now the Rebbe is saying that the previous Rebbe has, is really mentioning two things. Two stages in Bittal. Two, Bittal itself has two stages. Where he says he doesn't have anything of its own. Even though Malchus is always in a state of bittel, Va'ara is batlis. Malchus is also called a lot of times earth. You see, Malchus, I mean, um, everybody's familiar a little bit with the concept Malchus. You see, there are ten attributes through which God creates the world. The last and final attribute is called the attribute of Malchus. For that reason, it is also called earth. Shemayim and Aretz, heaven and earth, earth is Malchus. Malchus is the moon, it's earth. Something about the earth is the earth is very humble. The very fact that it allows everybody to step on it. Everybody tramples the earth. So the earth, that's indicative of how humble earth is. Malchus is a very humble sphera. Because Malchus even though you would think the opposite. Malchus means kingship. Kingship generally means to reign and to be supreme over everyone. But that's the secret of a Jewish king. In Judaism, a king was the most humblest of everybody. Our greatest of kings was David HaMelech, at least till now. And David HaMelech, what does he say about himself? Anoichi toilas, I'm a worm. He couldn't say, he didn't even say I'm a donkey. Or I'm a, like, I don't know, something else, a squirrel. He said, I'm a worm. Now here is a king of the entire people. And when David HaMelech said he's a worm, means he felt like a worm. As insignificant as a worm. That's what he felt like. Moshiach is going to be riding on a donkey. And it says Moshiach is going to be so humble, the most humblest of people ever. And that's why he's going to teach everybody Torah, and he's not going to be ashamed to sit with the most simplest of people, like the Balshemtov, and tell them stories, even though at the same time he could have sit with the biggest geniuses and teach them the greatest mysteries of the Torah, Mashiach is going to have patience for the coarsest of people, for the simplest of people, to explain everything a million times, because he's the man of the ultimate humility. Because in Judaism, king, king, kingship is associated with being like the moon. Even though you have all the power coming through you, it's only coming through you. It's not you. You're like a total, like a window. You have no self at all. That's the idea of Malchus. Malchus is totally bottle. As he says, Ara is batless. Malchus is bittle. In the bittle itself, there's various different levels. You look in the moon. The moon, the second half of the month, it begins the process of bittel. It makes itself smaller and smaller. But, 
Tonight, if you look at the moon, there's still a little bit of moon. There's still something there. But then, Finally, it reaches a bitl where it doesn't have anything. Nothing. Not even a point. This is the point of complete bitl. It's not here at all. Since keresh is indicative of a person's avoda, we're going to see these bittles that we're talking about is also applicable in our avoda. This through Torah mitzvahs we bring the shechina down here below as we spoke earlier requires and we're doing that in building a mishkan and a mishkan you're building with a keresh and kereshim are associated with the resh, which is similar to the dalit, which the dalit has a yud, which the yud is bittel. So, which means is when our service to God is with bittel. Okay, but what I don't understand is, and which maybe he's going to clarify soon, the keresh is not the dalit. Where there is bittel is in the dalit. The resh is lacking that bittel. Yet he's saying, since your avoda is an avoda of Kurashim, it means that your Torah, your Torah mitzvahs must have bittel. If there's no bittel in it, then it's not a kosher avoda. It needs to have bittel. Okay, we're going to get to that. Okay. Let's take a two-minute break. We'll take a two-three-minute break, and then we'll continue a little further. I don't think we're going to finish the whole thing today, because it's pretty long. But we're going to go a little later. Hello. Shalom Aleichem. That's nice. What's, what's the visit for? Oh, nice. When? Where? Oh, so that's... Nice. So you came here first? So you flew directly here and then from So you're moving back. She switched the dollar and the Reish. That's right. There you go. Thank you. Yep, that's true. Yeah. Of Kutsk? Riminov, yeah, yeah. Ramendel of Riminov, for sure. For his yard site. No, oh, just lighting candles for him and mentioning his name. That I haven't heard, but I know that lighting candles for him is a big schuss. I don't know, however, um, 40 days I've never heard. So you heard it in general? Yeah, I heard of, I heard of Remendel and Rimen of lighting candles for him, yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Good. Take care. Good job. I was, I was trying to figure that out too. 
while I was teaching here. It's off by one. The Rash is, the Rash is Gimel, would be Gimel. Pandra, if you do Shin, Shin and Sin, but then you have Tafsa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you just have Taf, then that's not That's You want Chalant? There's Chalant there. Yeah. Shall we continue? And it's interesting. It looks like, just by, by looking a little bit ahead, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't get a chance to prepare this year. So I'm just learning it with you for the first time. But it looks like in the Mimer that the Rebbe doesn't even get back to the Resha and the Kuf. He's getting so caught up in the Yud, in the back of the Dalit, and he's so excited about the Yud that's in the Dalit, about the Bittal of the Yud and the Dalit, that he kind of forgets about even that we're, the subject is the kuf and the reish, that we have to talk about that. Because who, who needs anything else? And once you get lost in the dalad and in the yud of the dalad and the bittel, then that's, uh, that's very comfy. You know, who wants to go to the... <laughs> it's very interesting. This idea that the bittel, that you need to have the bittel, um, in, in, in one's avoida, that you need the, the yud that's in the back of the dalad is what the Alter Rebbe explains in Torah or when it comes to Matan Torah. Um, he just mentioned that through Torah and mitzvahs you make, let me, let me explain again. He just mentioned that through Torah and mitzvahs we make a home for God in this world, which is the purpose of all of creation. And But in order to do that, you need to have the bittel, like the moon, he says. that. Now, he, so he, therefore he brings that, we find that Torah and mitzvahs requires the bittel of the Dalit, which has the, the Yud inside of it, we find that in Matan Torah itself, where the Alter Rebbe explains in regards to the event, the actual event, meaning not only the continuation of Torah and mitzvahs now, but the actual event of Matan Torah is, is permeated with the idea of Bittal, beginning with the date that was set for the giving of the Torah. As he explained, which the, the, the accomplishment of the giving of the Torah, of that event, is exactly what we're talking about, bringing God down into this world. Because mitzvahs they did before that. The Avais also did mitzvahs. But the Ozn is batla gzerev ha-machitzer shebein al yoinem At that point, the, 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 the separation that separates between the upper and the lower was removed by the giving of the Torah. Which is the idea that we have to draw down the Shekhinah down here in this world. So this idea of bringing the Shekhinah down in this world found expression at the giving of the Torah, and then later in the Mishkan, but it begins with the giving of the Torah. So we find that over here a pre-qualification was Bittal. That's why the date that was set was a date, a time of Bittal. What's a time of Bittal? He's going to explain that Rosh Chodesh is the Bittal moment. 
Because Rosh Chodesh is when the moon is in its smallest, to the point that it completely disappears on Erev Rosh Chodesh. And that's when Torah is given. Even though the Torah was given um, later in the month, on the sixth or seventh day of the month. But um, the, the, the day of Rosh Chodesh was the day that they came to Har Sinai. And the Pasuk emphasizes, Bayoim Hazeh, on this day, Ba'u Midbar Sinai. They came to read the place of the giving of the Torah, and the negotiations began right away. It was because, Ala Pasuk, Ba'chaydesh Ashlishi Bayoim Hazeh, Ba'u Midbar Sinai. On this day they came to Midbar Sinai, Vedar Sherezal, and the sages expound, Shakao Al Rosh Chodesh. The sages say it's referring to Rosh Chodesh. She'ein Amovan, it's not understood, Luma Nikra Rosh Chodesh, because of Zeh, Beloshem Bayoim Hazeh. How come the Torah could, why does the Torah say, Bayom Hazeh, on this day, they came to Midbar Sinai? It should have said, and we don't know which day it is. The sages have to say, they learn it out, that since it says, Bayom Hazeh, on this day, and another Pasuk says, about Rosh Chodesh, it refers to it, Hazeh. So we learn now that it's Rosh Chodesh. Um, why does the Torah have to say that? The Torah could have been much easier on us. And told us clearly, berishain lachaydesh. Like it says many times, b'sheni lachaydesh. Could have said berishain on the first. Shekodesh chaydesh. Ain't a move and lama nikra rosh chaydesh because of zeh beloshen bayoyim hazeh. Why does the pasuk refer to rosh chaydesh with the with the with the name bayoyim hazeh on this day? So the Alter Rebbe explains. Umevar bezeh b'torah b'torah or behagdim. In Torah Ori explains by first prefacing Ashaychas the Matan Torah Bo Midbar Sinai Shaz Hischel Ingin the Matan Torah Rosh Chodesh. He explains that why Matan Torah begins on Rosh Chodesh. And he bases it on what Chazal say Yisrael Moinin Lelavana that the Jewish people count to the moon. That means there is an intrinsic connection between the Jewish people and the moon. That means that the quality that the moon possesses, we the Jewish people also possess. Just like the moon has a lot of light, beautiful light shining from the moon, illuminating the sky. Yet, it recognizes it doesn't have any of its own light. It's not, it knows, it's very humble about its light. It knows and it's not ashamed to say, it's not my light. I'm just reflecting something else. So to the nature of a Jewish neshama is that it's in a state, it's bitl to Hashem. It's nullified to God. The lesloy megarmei in klum. The yid knows that he doesn't have anything of his own. And this is the connection of matan Torah to Rosh Chodesh. This idea of levana, that the moon doesn't have anything of its own, finds its strongest expression, because there is, if you look at the moon in the middle of the month, you don't see the bitl. Quite on the contrary, the moon is really, really powerful and saying, look at me, I have a lot of light. Um, but this that the moon doesn't have anything of its own. Where is that apparent? Where is that seen? Where is that visible on Rosh Chodesh? Because when the moon is born, the new moon, which is Rosh Chodesh, it's only a point, a dot. And that even that point was preceded by it's not even being there, not even a dot. And how does the moon be? How is the moon born? Al through this that, he, that the moon tells the sun, listen here, I'm penniless, I have nothing. 
a moment before the birth, it's not like the moon goes down to a tiny sliver and then continues back up. It reaches a point when it's not there in the sky at all. Gone. It's not in a state of existence at all. It's not even a point. It's nothing. That's why we also say that Shal HaMelech said to David HaMelech, not Shal, Yoynason says to David HaMelech, tomorrow is Rosh Chodesh. You're going to be remembered because your seat is going to be vacant. Yonason tells to David, tomorrow is going to be Sudas Rosh Chodesh and you're not going to come to the meal and my father Shaul is going to ask, where is David? Why is he going to ask where you are? Because you're not there. It's like the teacher who takes attendance and the only kids that are mentioned are the kids that are not there. The kids who show up every day to school, they're never mentioned. The teacher never says their name. But when you're not there, oh, where's Chaim Yankel today? <laughs> so what do you see? Sometimes the only way you can be somewhere is by not being there. By not being, then you're noticed. And you're not being. So well, why does Yonason say that to, to David HaMelech? Because, on the deeper level, why is he saying that to him? Because David is Malchus, David is the moon. And he's telling him, tomorrow is Rosh Chodesh. It means tomorrow there's going to be a new David. And how are you going to be remembered? Meaning, how are you going to get light? How are you going to... Because your seat is going to be vacant. Because you're not going to be there. Because of your absence. So what do we see from there? That from the non-beingness comes the light. That's when you see. So on Rosh Chodesh you see, she doesn't have anything of her own. That's why the giving of the Torah is on Rosh Chodesh. In order to be able to receive the Torah, we need Bittl. Without, here's the idea. The Jewish people without Bittl are useless. All of our power lies in our Bittl. Including the Torah, which is our main power that we have in the world. It's all connected to the Bittl. Ubitl betachlis bedafka and total bittel. Veloyrak abitl daziris karma. Not only the bittel of making oneself small, because erev rishchodesh the moon isn't small. The moon is not here. Shul bedugma salavanesh and asu pchenes nekuda b'shasa moila. That's similar to the moon that becomes a nekuda at the time of the molad. El abitl betachlis total bittel. Bedugma salam v'hastar alavana beregush lifne moila. Like the moon is a moment before the molad, before it's born, it's nothing. On this day, on Rosh Chodesh, the day of Bittl, on the day of Bittl, this is the day they start, came to Midbar Sinai. Because the preface of Matan Torah. In a manner of being able to receive the Torah, that the Torah should have an effect in connecting God to the lowest of worlds, that's the Chiddush of Matan Torah, which later translates in the Mishkan, that we can bring God into the material, into the physical. To make for Hashem a dira, it requires the work which has bitl in it. That's the bitl. That's why who else? Another major player. Another major player is who? Who's the other major player? The other major player is Moshe. And what's Moshe? Also Bittel. 
Another major player is Har Sinai. What's Har Sinai? Smallest of mountains. Everything connected to the giving of the Torah is connected to humility and to bittle. The day, the time, the place, the person, everybody, everything is bittle. Like Moshe is in a state of ultimate bittle. Moshe was extremely humble. The idea of anav, being humble, is the idea of being poor. It's the same, same word. Poverty, meaning not having anything. It's not just bittle. Moshe is not only bittle, but the bittle of the dalit, the bittle of the poor man. And because of Moshe's bittle, the Torah came through him. But us will also understand why Rosh Chodesh, which is, so again, what's the emphasis on the Torah being given or being initiated on Rosh Chodesh? It's because this is a day of bittle. That's the reason why it's called Beyom Hazeh. Because Beyom Hazeh is an, is, is a, as a result of the extreme bittle of the day. By Yom Azeh, the reason why it's called by Yom Azeh is because the bittle is... Why? It's called on this day. Because we know in, in Hasidus that Zeh is the level of Chachma. Why? Where do we find this idea that Zeh is Chachma? Because the sages say an interesting thing. They say all the prophets, when they prophesied, they used the term Ko. Ko Amar Hashem. Moshe Rabbeinu was the only one who in addition to the word Koi, which he also used, adds a word called Zeh. Zeh Hadavar Hashem. This is what God commands. Simple meaning is ko means something like this. Zeh means crystal clear. But the deeper meaning is because zeh is associated to receiving from chachma. Chachma sees the MS as it really is. And the reason is simple. I mean, I think so. So far he didn't say it, but I'm just imagining the idea is based on other things that we've learned in the past. And that is that chachma. In Chachma, God's light is shining as it is. Once you're getting into Bina, Bina is already a translation. Bina is already you describing it. Bina is trying already to define something. Chachma is allowing the light to be as it is. Chachma is the first, in a person's experience, what's Chachma? Chachma is the first epiphany of an idea. It's where the light is in its original. Bina is already trying to give words to it, trying to define it, trying to express it in details. That's already, already, it's already translating it. It's not zeh. So Moshe Rabbeinu, who's receiving his, his essential level is chachma, and that's why he was also total bitl koyach ma, which is chachma. His level is zeh. Good. So that's what zeh means. Zeh means chachma. V'yoyim, now we say bayoyim hazeh, means the day of chachma. If zeh is chachma, so Bayom Hazem means the day of Chachma, which is Rosh Chodesh. Why is Rosh Chodesh a day of Chachma? We'll see in a minute. It means the Yom, Yom doesn't only mean a day. It means, day means daylight. So Yom really means an illumination. An illumination of Chachma is called Yom Hazem. The Yomu or Vigilui. 
And this word is called by There's two explanations. Number one is that the Alter Rebbe explains that Yoim is in a state of Zeh. Not that the Zeh is revealed, but that Yoim, that which is called Day, what's called Day? So Day means revelation, but Day also means love. Love is also called day. Yes. Why? Because, I'll tell you why. When someone loves someone, it causes you to open up towards them. You, you, you're, you're open, you, re, you reveal yourself to them. When a person keeps a distance, it means that, you know, love opens you up. And that's what day means. Day means you're light. You're revealing yourself. But here's the idea. Yomazem means that love... The love should be a humble love. A lot of times when a person serves God with love, or in any relationship, when you have love, love can, be, can, can have a lot of ego in it as well. A person's love can be all about me. In other words, when a person is loving someone else, their love can be, I love you. So the you is very, very insignificant. Or it can be, I love you. The you is huge. And the I is not felt so much. So when you're saying, and here's the idea, Yomazem means I love you. The you is big, I mean in terms of God, with the Yid with Hashem, God is very big. The fact that I'm loving is hardly felt, but I'm lost in the love. I don't even notice myself. That's a humble love. So the, that's the idea of Yom, Yom Hazer, hold on, uh, here we are. There is bittle in the love there. Bays. It's also, you know, you see it in everything, you know. In, in, in every relationship, a person can love someone else. And they're smothering them with their love. And they want to give them, give them, give them, give them, give them, but they never even listen for one second what the other person wants. But they're just busy loving because they love, because they're into loving. So, and it's true, they really want to love, but they only want to, they still haven't gotten out of the way they think they, they, they should be loving. The other person says, I don't need that. I'm not looking for that. Yeah, and it's not like they're, they, they're, they, they really care, but they're caring only, their care is part of their, Part of themselves. It's a different type of a love, where I'm I'm able to humble the eye and the love that I don't even notice. I'm only sensing you, and then I can sense what you really need. Then I can give you what you need, not not what I want to give or what I think you should have or what I I, I want to hear you. In our relationship with God, it's very important that 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 we're not giving God what we want to give Him because we think this is what He should want. We should listen to what does he really say he wants. And, then that, and that's what Torah is. You're actually silencing yourself. And see, in all other, in other whatever ways of life besides in Torah, it's man deciding what God wants. And giving God what we have decided he wants. In Torah, it's actually God telling us what he wants. And some of it we look at and we say, very strange that you want this. I can't believe anybody would want this. Why in the world would you want this? <laughs> and that's why so many people think this is not important. But God says, I do really want this. 
That means it's a humble love. The only way you can have Torah is by is through Yom Azeh. Your your love has to be has to be a humbled love. It has to be a chachma love, a koachma love, a bitul love. Beis. That's one pirush in Yom Azeh. The second pirush Yom Azeh who agilu di Yom depchenas chachma zeh. That the the zeh the bitul is Yom is illuminated. Ki al yedei rosh chodesh Since rosh chodesh is a day of bitul. It allows the chachma, it allows the 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 uh, the, 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 the the to, to shine. chachma, which is the Torah. Through your being absent becomes which was at the giving of the Torah. So just like this was at the giving of the Torah for the first time, that every component had to be bittel. Moshe was the man of Bittel. The mountain, the truth is he doesn't mention the mountain. If you hear in the mind, in other places it's mentioned. The mountain is a humble mountain. The, the day is a day of Bittel. And therefore you have Bittel in all directions. Saying to is in everybody's, that's in the giving of the Torah in general. And, that, and now this has to be applied to everybody's individual learning all the time. The Torah study needs to be a humble learning. As he brings in the sixth chapter of the Mimer, when a person learns Torah, he has to know that he's, he's not learning because he wants to say his own interpretations. He's learning because he wants to hear what the truth is said over there. The sages also say, you won't, you won't find the Torah, someone who's broadening. Learning Torah has to be with extreme. Extreme bittel. Like it says, Let my mouth answer your words. Like a person answering after someone reading. When you're learning Torah, it's like the Torah is your teacher, and you're sitting humbly before, before like a student. At the time of the, of the transmission, the student has to be bottle. As the sages say, every student whose lips are not dripping with more. More is something bitter, which means he's not scared of his teacher. Yeah. As it was by Moshe. Moshe was the first student. The first person to learn Torah was Moshe. He learned it from God. And how did, and, and, and how did he learn? He learned it with extreme bitl and nullification before God. Moshe is the man of bitl. So this is Shekol Talmud Chacham Nikra Moshe. Now every Talmud Chacham is really called Moshe. Everybody receives some Moshe. So that's in Torah study. The fulfillment of mitzvahs as well. The main power in our doing mitzvahs needs to be because God commanded, not because I like doing them, because I think it's nice. It's because I agree, or I think this is a wonderful way of living my life. That's not bittel. That's a mitzvah is supposed to be done because God said so. Like we actually express in the blessing of a mitzvah, which means he's sanctifying it with his mitzvah. Why am I doing it? Because he's commanding us. Mitzvah This idea of bittel. The last lame megar meklum. It's not my own ideas. It's the Torah of God. It's the mitzvahs of Hashem. 
And that is all, when we act this way, we are a healthy Dalit. We have the Yud behind us. We have Bittal. And then we are recipients for God's light. And we can each be like the moon that shines light of us, shines the light of God in the night of darkness of this world. But we need to have Bittal. Now in order to come to Bittal, you can't just say, Bittal is a nice thing. Okay, so let's be Bittal. If, if a person is essentially, the nature of a person is ego, and a person naturally has certain self-importance and a tendency to expand their, their own importance and whatever. So how do you come to Bittal? So, uh, number one, you have to think, you have to use your mind. That's the idea of his binyanus, contemplation. Everything has to start with some kind of understanding. However, he says, you can't end with understanding. In other words, you can't just use your mind to bring you to Bittal. Because your mind will bring you to shrink. If you're using your mind to understand how small we are, how big God is, and how we don't have anything of our own, we will become tiny, 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 small in our own minds. Small. We could come to Bittal. But we will always leave a little bit self. The mind has a limit of how much it can, it can accomplish. In order to have real, real bittal, we have to go deeper than the mind. Since understanding, the very notion of understanding is, what is understanding? Understanding means, I need to, there's, there's an I in understanding. I, 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 need, I need to know, I need to understand. So there is a self in understanding. Therefore, even when the understanding is of, about how unimportant we are, I am, meaning I don't say oh no, how small we are, I don't say unimportant, we are very important. We're important because God is making us important. But I'm saying how, how small we are in our own. But since understanding, therefore, since it's based on a self, I'm understanding. So therefore, even when it's bringing me to Bittal, the Bittal that comes through this understanding, through this one's understanding in God's greatness, and how small we are, infinitesimally small that we are, one comes to a conclusion that I should be Bittal, I should nullify myself to Hashem. It's not pure Bittal, because it's my mind telling me that I'm Bittal. Since, since that very, very recognition and realization comes from me, so there's at the, at, the seat, at the very core, there's a germ of self. There's a seed of self. Because the existence of one's understanding contradicts the bitter. An example. When a student is sitting in front of a teacher, it says that the student is not supposed to try to figure, explain it in their own mind. The teacher is supposed to just hear the words. What is the teacher saying? And memorize the words. Afterwards, they can start exploring and understanding. If the student is going to try to understand while the teacher is teaching, they're going to lose focus on what they're teaching because I'm suddenly got lost in what, what did he say? And I'm starting to, starting to like feed it through my own understanding and my own... Then I'm going to lose it. Um, that's not called being an empty vessel. An empty vessel means clear everything out of my mind, let me just hear the words. 
ולכן אין ביכולתו לקבל אמיתס השפעה שרב. כי כאלה ריקן דווקא מחזיק, דווקא אמפי וסל. So the same is also over here. If my bittle is based on me understanding that I'm bottle, so that little bit of understanding which is self is contradicting the bittle. And that's why the bittle that comes through contemplation is always going to be a noisy bittle. Which is like, example for that is like um, when you're burning wood, it's being bottle. The wood is being bottle, but it makes a lot of noise. And that's not real bittle. Someone who's bottle, but he's making a lot of noise that everybody knows that he's bottle. See how bottle I am? I'm letting the whole town know how bottle I am. It's a very, very noisy bittle. Because it, the real bittle is the bittle of oil. When the oil is burning, it's quiet. No one even notices that there's oil there that's burning. It's so quiet about it. That's real bittle. So he says, the bittle that comes from one's understanding is noisy. It's external. Now it's, it's an important, you need to have this, you have to start with something. It's an introduction to the real bittle. It's a silent bittle, the bittle of Chachma, not contemplation. Just like the two levels we spoke earlier, when the moon makes itself small, is an introduction and a preparation for the moon not being there at all. Two levels. Over there it talks about that Avram said to Avimelech, when Avimelech complained to him, how come you said, you told me she's your sister, she's really your wife? So Avram says, She's really my sister because she's the daughter of my father, but not my mother. Because um, Haran and, and Avram came from Terach, but they came from two different mothers. Terach had two wives. Haran was the daughter of one, and Avram was from the other. In any case... So, but what is the deeper meaning? So Avram, so the Mittler Rebbe explains that when Avram is saying like this, she became my wife, she later became my wife, but she's really my cousin. What he's saying is like this, in order to be a wife, what's a wife? A wife is a keli, is a vessel. She's a macabre. In order to be a vessel for godliness, to be a wife, you have to receive bittel from who? From your father, not from your mother. Because from your mother, mother is Bina, father is Chachma. When the Bittal is coming from Bina, Bina means understanding, there's going to be a little bit of self there. Because it's I'm understanding. I'm understanding that I have to be Bittal. So there's me in that Bittal. It has to be a Bittal of Chachma. Chachma is not me. Chachma is Bittal. Total Bittal. It says, therefore, it's, it's, when you have a Bittal coming from, 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 from the mother, you don't be, you're not a wife. Because then the bittel is a noisy bittel. You can't receive it. You're excited to be bottle. You're not, in a, you're not a keli reka. Not an empty vessel. 
To be able to receive it and to retain it, how do one access that? He's not clear. He doesn't say why. How? He says it's a higher bitl. It's not through understanding. It's just through. Which one? How? I don't know. Okay, we're going to leave it over here because there's a lot more to explain and a lot more to learn. Next week we're going to continue learning more about how deeper this bitl goes. An empty vessel. And that's the secret of being a Dalid. And when you're a Dalid, you can make a Mishkan. Hey, Rabbi Nishalaylam. Okay.